Revelation 12:11 And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Welcome to by the word of their testimony and here is your host Etienne McClintock. Dear listener, greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for tuning into the program today. I'm delighted to have your company. And with me in the studio, I have a special guest all the way from Papua New Guinea. Leboy Tobias, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. It's lovely to have you here. Now, I know you have a fascinating tale to tell, a story of how the Lord has impacted your life and changed your life. But before we start that, perhaps you can just tell us a little bit about what you currently do. Currently, I am one of the church pastors at Central Papua Conference in Papua New Guinea. Okay. And I am pastoring one of the uh, rural church, uh, rural church in, it's about approximately four uh, I was drive away from Port Mosby, which is called the Dubana Tebo Seventh-day Adventist Church. Right. Yeah. Okay. And how long have you been the pastor there? Uh, I think it's about approximately it's for five months now. Five months. Yeah. Okay. So it's, a, it's quite a new appointment. Absolutely. It okay. is. Okay. Wonderful. Now, I take it that as far as that occupation is concerned, that's something new. Is there anybody else in your family that's a pastor? Uh, absolutely. Uh, actually, I am the only Seventh-day Adventist in our family and just ah. currently my mother joined me so your mum has just yeah, joined you absolutely oh praise the lord for that that's that's good to hear now let's maybe step step back from there um tell us where you were born you know family influences siblings parents and so on i was b- born up in the highlands of papua new guinea which okay. is uh called the eastern islands province mm. in a small district uh called the Daulo district in asaro and this is where my mom and parent, uh, my mom and my father come from, so that is where I was born from. Yeah. Right. Okay. And your parents were they from big families? Uh, yep, yep. My parents were from a big family, but you know, it's my mother. My mother is from another village, and my father was from another village. So. Okay. Yeah. And what's life like typically uh, in the highlands there in the villages? Right now, it's a bit okay, but you know, it's the same. Like most of the things that happened in the past is still like, like take for example, tribal fight and land dispute and okay. yeah, it's continuously like here and there people are fighting. Mm. Yeah. So. So is it tribal? Is it sometimes between one town and another town that the fighting takes place, or is it can it be sometimes within the town itself? It's always like mostly it happens from like another town and another town like fighting against each other. Mm. Sometimes it's between the villages on, or only and you know different. Different uh, lifestyle out there where you okay. know, yeah, they fight against each other. So. And how, how do people live? How do they survive? Where do they get their food from? Uh, up in the islands, is, it's, when you talk about food, they are rich. Okay. They have, you know, garden and all this farming and all this one. So all the crops and everything, it's just there. So they yeah. do a lot of planting themselves and agricultural Absolutely. farming. and yeah, agricultural farming. And, and, and is there a lot of natural fruit available as well, or is there something that you have to cultivate? 
it's like most of those natural food are natural. Okay. Yeah, it's a scrub in the islands where it's everything is. So just if you're hungry, there. you can find food somewhere around. Yeah, absolutely, there. just go in the bush and you find anything. <laughs> okay, right. And this was the environment that you grew up in. Absolutely. Hmm. Now, how many children were you in your family? Uh, we were three in the family. My father, uh, my brother, and my my sister was the firstborn, and then okay. my brother, bigger brother, and then myself. So you're the youngest in the family. Absolutely, I am the youngest in the family. Oh, okay. Oh, very good. So you grew up in this family. Your family also had some farmland that they cultivated, so you could, you know, have your your food and all that. As as far as I know. Like when I grow up, we don't have those land okay. because that's where we were. We were already in Port Mosby when I was. Oh, yeah. Okay, so they were. You were born there, but you moved to Port yeah, Mosby at a young absolutely. age. Do you know how old you were roughly when you when you left with your family to go and live in Port Mosby? Probably around six months or seven, eight months. Oh, very young. Yeah. So you grew yeah. up in Port Moresby. Absolutely. Port Moresby is your, that's your, that's, hood. that's your town. <laughs> that's my town. <laughs> okay. Sometimes people said, well, you are not from the islands. You're mm. from the Port Mosby. <laughs> ah, yeah. okay. Right, understand. So um, when you were growing up in Port Moresby, uh, what, what were your family doing? What, what were they involved in? My family, uh, we were traveling like we were shifting from one place to another. Okay. Yeah, so because quite of quite transient. Uh, we were transiting from one place to the, because we don't have any like uh, no land to settle, permanent mm. residence. So we have to just travel from one place to another, and then finally we just you know, we traveled to Barony uh, Garbage Dump where we just live near. It's about approximately three kilometers away, four kilometers. Yeah. From from the rubbish dump. From the rubbish dump in Port Mosby. Okay, yeah. so um, how old were you around at this time when you guys lived there? Was this still around the age of six? Uh, we, it, uh, I think it's about seven years old. Yeah, okay. around seven and six years old when we lived at the garbage dump. Yeah, rubbish. Right. Okay. Now. Um, for people obviously live in Australia, New Zealand, other places, because we broadcast to Papua New Guinea as well. But for people living in Australia, New Zealand, what is it that makes people live close to the rubbish dump? What is the attraction there? Because typically people want to live away from a rubbish dump. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say, but you know, for us, we we want to live at the rubbish dump, and people away might yeah around Australia, New Zealand might want to live away live from away, the rubbish. Yes. Yeah, so. So at like, the rubbish dump, is, is it because of these resources there? You can find food there or you can find articles or materials to build? or What is it that's, uh, that's attractive for people to live close to the rubbish dump? Those people who live at the garbage dump, it, like, you know, it takes a lot of years for them. And like in the rubbish dump, in the garbage dump, hmm. there are many things that we find. Like, it, you know, help us sustain, make ends meet. And we recycle some of the tin cans. Okay. Even the bottles and anything that we can find from the garbage dump. Right. Yeah. Even the food too. We always receive our food from the garbage dump, our daily needs from the garbage dump. Is that right? Absolutely. Okay. So there's food that uh, gets dropped out there? Yeah, I guess, by different vehicles that travel in and out from the garbage dump trucks. Ah, uh, okay. And when you say recycling, you're using those materials to build things or can you actually trade them and get some money for them? Thank you very much for asking me this question and yeah. I'll be very happy to answer them. There are food that we receive from the garbage dump, which, you know, we hit directly. Lot. But we know exactly different type of food, mm. which is brought in by different vehicle on a certain amount of time, like that okay. certain time. And we know exactly where the driver bring those food from. So everything, even I can just sit like 
about six or maybe two or three kilometers away. And by the sound of the engine of the vehicle, I know what which, type, which, which vehicle, vehicle and who it's driving and who where it's driving. from. Absolutely. That's so. Wow. Different vehicles bring different, you know, things into the garbage mm. dump. So we get those like, if we get those uh, uh, tin or maybe a copper and aluminum or the bottle, or we, we collect them and then we have to bring it to the recycling plant. Okay. Yeah, and then, and then we go money. and yeah, get some money. Even sometimes we get some of the food, like expired food or something like that. Sometimes it's kind of funny that like you know we have to bring it to the you know the city in the Port Moresby and resell those things. Oh, you can resell them. We can resell them. So the food is actually not always bad quality. It's yeah. not uh, something that someone's just maybe they just had access and then they got rid of it. Absolutely. Like sometimes. You know, the difference in some of the certain stores. Mm. So, like, the difference just shut down, the generator shut down, and they don't have anywhere to store those. So, they have to dump all the food and all these things okay. at the dump site. So, we have to just get it from the garbage dump, resell it again on the streets. <laughs> yeah, okay. so that's right. Well, that's an interesting little economy set up there, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's yeah, like, but that's how people survive, and that's how they can get money. Dump has become the source for the people living mm. over there. So, you know, for generations to generations, people are living at the gum site. But it sounds like there's a bit of industry going on there as well. So people Absolutely. who are at the dump site, you know, and want to live, they can't just sit there and do nothing. They've got to be active to earn money if they want to, and then also sell food and sell aluminium cans and everything else. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's quite a different picture to what we typically would have. We sometimes think, well, people just go to the dump site, and if something comes here, they'll just grab it, and then they'll eat no, it. No, no, no. It's nothing like we that. We know exactly, you know, for like – you know, we always see like different people, like you know, maybe some of the Australian or other countries. They just travel in, and when they even some of the Papua New Guineans, mm. which they don't live at the gum site, but while just traveling, they thought that like we we eat all those garbage and like it's smelly and all this. But we are not that. You know, we know we are it's human. It's more being. sophisticated than that, isn't <laughs> Absolutely. it? Absolutely, we are human beings. We know exactly what happening over there. Yeah, yeah. So just because they are not into like they cannot, sadly for them to get into our shoes and just to understand our situation, mm. they have to just turn over there and comment a lot. Without realizing what is happening, actually happening the yeah, downside. Yeah. So, wow. Okay. Well, yeah. there's some entrepreneurs at the rubbish dump, no doubt. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so, when you're about seven years old, you guys moved closer to the rubbish dump, and I can understand why now because mm-hmm. it's a place of resources, absolutely, and also a means of generating income for the family. Um, you're about three kilometers away. Do you end up living at the rubbish dump at any stage, or you always live about you know a little bit of a distance away from it? We live just a little bit of distance away from the garbage dump, but we always travel to the dump site mm. to, you know, find anything that we can find, recycle and make ends meet during the day. So garbage has also become our, you know, it's not for the people living in the dump, but it's just beside the dump also. Okay. Yeah, me and my family, we travel every now and then to the dump site. Okay, and to, yeah. and to work into... Uh, Even to, right now, currently, while we are speaking, my mother is at the dump site. Oh, is that right? Absolutely. CC is still there. That that is incredible. So would you say how many people would um, live from that that dump site, the one that you're talking about? Approximately, like in the past back then, like it's more than 350, not people, but families. 350 families. Families, more than 350 families. Mm. But currently they have a project, a recycling plant just set up right at the dump site. So, you know, people are moving gradually. They are moving slowly away from the dump site. So now it might be about more than 150 families living at that still currently. Still there. Yeah, still there at that dump mm. site. So what's causing people to start moving away from it? What's, why aren't so many people dependent on the dump site, immediate dump site like they used to be in the past? Has anything changed? 
At the dam site, currently the government of uh, Papua New Guinea is establishing a uh, plant site, a recycling plant site where those people living at the dam site, uh, it's hard for them because the plant site is, you know, it's trying to take up some of the space and it bends all the rubbish, the garbage that come into it. So people cannot get those things that they need, the wants and the needs from that garbage dump. So they are gradually moving away from the dump site now. Okay, looking yeah. for alternatives to, Absolutely. Uh, to live and survive. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. So can you tell us what was it like growing up in that environment for you? Wow, it would be a blessing and a pleasure for me to talk about what we do, yeah. like how it looks like, like growing in the dump site. Like mm. we don't have power, no power. Yeah, right. no power. Not even like we don't have any like access to water. So like we have to just try our best to you know live at the garbage dump and like every now and then people like the boys we always break the the tap uh, the pipe that travels the water pipe. We have to break it and then the the PNZ water board or the hadron they always come and fix it up and the government always come and fix it up we break it again they fixed it up we break it again so but that's so you can access the water access to the drink. water yeah. so they were like they were tired of us so they just they just, like they you know put a water tap up so now people have access to the water but power we don't we have nothing so okay every now and then we have to just walk some kilometers to school and back and and then to help ourselves at the dump site so it's kind of like I mean for us it's just it's very tough out there. Yes, it would yeah. be. Yeah. So, so cooking is done just with open fire. Absolutely. That's the only way we can cook. Yes. Otherwise, <laughs> how can you help yourself with? So, yeah. open fire. That's the that's the only way we do our cookings and all this. Wow. So it's, it's a very different uh, lifestyle to what we would typically consider out here in the, in the west. Even the, the PMVs doesn't travel on that road because of the like, criminal activities and the behaviors of the people. Mm. No, not like majority of the young people. Or maybe I'll say, yeah, majority of the young people, but those, you know, only if those people, the young ones, just cause a lot of problems. So as a matter of fact, the government stopped the bus from traveling here and there because there's many old ups and roadblocks and all this. So they just travel on another route, but not on the way, <laughs> the area that we are living. Really, because it's too dangerous. Yeah. Mm. So obviously there's people who make a living from the, the rubbish dump, from the, but there's also other people who make a living from criminal activity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it was it dangerous growing up there? Yeah, it was dangerous. But like, as for me, like I live in the dam site and I mean, just near the dam site with those boys and like, I don't know, but like, it's like, personally, it's like for me, it's the environment is conducive and it's good for me. But, you know, for other people, like the way they'll judge is more dangerous. But now, like, as I come out and I just look back, it's, yeah, it's very dangerous and it's tough out there. But Sure. But yeah. for you growing up there, growing because you knew a lot of people yeah. and you had a support network. Absolutely. It, it, it was just part of life and you weren't under any particular threat yeah. or danger yeah. as such. Wow, incredible. So you, your mum, your dad, your brother and sister, you all grow up there. Now, what changes in your life? I mean, do you, do you attend a school while, you're, while you guys are living near the rubbish dump? Yeah, actually, I attend school. Uh, it's primary school at one of the schools in Port Mosby, they call it Wagner Primary School. And then I graduated from there to the high school. I okay. failed my grade 10. Oh, okay. Yeah, I failed my grade 10, but I never give up. Mm. You know, it's like there's an acronym for fail. They said, like, first attempt in learning. So, so, f so is an acronym for fail. So F-A-I-L, first attempt in in, in learning. learning. Yeah. Oh, that's very smart. I like so that. So that's where I fail. You know, failure is, I also call it like, you know, failure is not when you fall down. 
Mm. But it is rather when you fall down, you do not have the guts to stand up and walk again on the path that God has for you. Right. So this is the real failure. Just yes. fail and then you just give up on everything. That's failure. This is failure. But if you fall and you get up, that is not failure. Yes, That's it's learning. Not failure. This is first learning. attempt. This is first attempt in learning. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, that then. is where, yeah. So I failed my grade ten. Uh, then I tried my best. I was doing the street sales around Port Mosby. Street yeah. sales, and this is from materials and food and products and things that you've got from the rubbish dump. Absolutely, and then mm. sometimes like mostly it's from the materials that like I bought it from the Chinese shops. So I have to bring it around the streets in the Port Mosby and sell those phones. And they're not permanent phones or this one, but I have to just try my best as much as possible to make ends meet for my school fee and for my parents and all this. So, so you were quite entrepreneurial. So you yeah, went, absolutely. Yeah, so you were working hard and you also have studying and uh, obviously yeah. uh, just a temporary setback um, with uh, with grade 10. But uh, in, in New Guinea, I assume people have to pay school fees to go to school or is it free? You have to pay the school fees. Right, so yeah. you, your parents pay yeah. that for you guys. But yeah. currently it's the government uh, saying it's free education, so people, but still you have to pay some other certain fees like project fees. and Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Now, I know that Operation Food for Life had an impact in your life. And of course, you're sitting here across from me now with a big Operation Food for Life T-shirt on. Yeah. And uh, I wonder if we can start transitioning to that now because you're living – uh, with your parents near the rubbish dump, uh, you're having resources, you're, you're going to school, so you're getting an education. Um, where does your life start transitioning and you start thinking or dreaming big? Or were you always a big dreamer? I was always a bigger dreamer, like big dreamer when I was at the dump site, right in the dump. Yes. While I was in the dump, I always dream big. Mm. But then, you know, there comes, uh, you know, I've seen in a life where it's, I saw the Operation Food for Life ministry with a PAU van coming in the uh, dump site and then started to feed in us every oh, year. Like, okay. you know, consecutively they have been here. And like they are not, the Operation Food for Life, we're not the only people who come in the dump. There were mm. other group of people also, but the difference between the Operation Food for Life and those group is, you know, there are other groups where they come, but when they come into the dump site, they have to just blow their nose and you know, spit in front of us. And like for us, it's, it's a disgrace for us. Mm. You so don't come to dump and just spit. Yeah, so it's offensive. They they yeah. weren't actually as sensitive to your needs and your own dignity as a person. Absolutely. Wow. So that is where I you know I saw some of the you know differences between the Operation Food for Life and the other group. And then they have that Adventist logo on the side of the PAU van that is like the Pacific Adventist vehicle that they always use. Okay. So that's where I saw the same. But back then, like after some couple of years. I have those, uh, some of the Seventh-day Adventist elders mm. at one of the church called the Waigani Seventh-day Adventist Church. They always come and visited me in front of my house with my family and all this. So you know, sometimes my, like our neighbors always said, Liboy, you saw those Adventists, they are the only people that killed Jesus on the Sabbath. These are the Sabbath keepers who killed Jesus. And now these people are visiting you. Did you know that these are the, and you are wasting your time worshiping with them. Then, like, because they because it was on the Sabbath, they were thinking they were descendants of the Jews, basically, yeah. and the J Jewish faith. Is that right? Absolutely. Ah. So that you know that idea, the preconceived idea, is just you know it's talk, mm. stuck in our mind that it's very difficult to just take it out. But then I saw the the parallelism between the Operation Food for Life and the the Helder, the Seven Day Adventist Elder, which is called the Elder David Jeninen and Magia Bland and all those people, uh, Kip Sohago and. When they were like visiting us, they said, and then like I saw that Adventist logo on their set, and I was, I was like relating. These are the same people 
Same as the Operation Food for Life that visited us on the dam. You made the connection between yeah. Operation Food for Absolutely. Life and these people visiting you. Absolutely. So you thought, well, they can't be that bad. Maybe they yeah. didn't kill Jesus. Yeah. So, yeah. like, I was trying to, like, relate things here and then. And then, like, there's an occasion where the Helder, he asked me. He said, Lee boy, like, he was asking all of us, that's, uh, you know, that's children over there. So he said, during the brand Sabbath school, on a Sabbath day in the morning, around 8 o'clock, he said, you know, do you guys have any aims or dreams in life like you want to share with us or that I'll pray for all of you? And like everyone where, you know, they said their dreams and aims, but I said, I wanted to become the, one of the Seventh-day Adventist church pastor. And were you a Seventh-day Adventist Christian at this time? No, I was actually in the Catholic church. Okay, you were, yeah. okay. were you raised a Catholic? I was raised a Catholic, but ever since we moved to the dam site, we haven't been attending church. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, but you believed in God, but you just weren't church people. Absolutely. Church, All the yeah. people in Papua New Guinea believe in God. I think it's more than 95, even 98. I have heard yeah. that. that. That is remarkable. All so, of them are Christians, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you're, you're, a, you're Catholic. You have people visiting you. They're not connected directly with Operation Food for Life. The elders, they were just from the church. They were not connected. But with in your mind... You connect the logo yeah. from the elders from that church with Operation Food for Life. Absolutely, that's what I did. Yeah. So, how old were you the first time you got exposed to the, the work of Operation Food for Life? Actually, uh, I was about ten. Okay. About ten and eleven years old. That's what. So you remember doing. the first time you saw this van coming in and the people doing it? But you yeah. probably at that time thought this is just one of many people who come in. They're probably going to spit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. these people are different. Absolutely. They show yeah. respect. The way they hug us and, you know, shake our hands. And it makes us like we feel comfortable. Not only they feed us with the food. Yes. But they only show sympathy. Not only sympathy, but it's empathy that they show to us. So it's like we feel that, you know, they are part of us. Mm, yeah. So it's a genuine concern and care for you as, yeah, a, as a person. Oh, praise the Lord. So what happens next you're um you're, you're studying with the people they've asked you this question now what do you want to do one day and you have an ambition you say you want to become a pastor yeah absolutely <laughs> but you're still not part of that denomination you're in another denomination I wasn't. when they know that like i wanted to become a seven-day adventist pastor that elder he actually you know he was like he had that interest in me mm. so they started to sponsor me while i was doing my grade four and then up till grade eight, I graduate, grade nine and grade ten. I failed my grade ten. Yes. But they they didn't give up on me. They still support okay, so me. So they, they saw promise in you because they saw Absolutely. the ambition in you that Lord had placed yeah. in your heart. Yes. So while I was failing my grade ten, I was doing those street sales on the road, mm. and then I you know I have some my mother. She gave me some of the money that she make and like do during like she recycled those products at the dump site. She have another six hundred kina, which is approximately it's three hundred dollar. She gave okay. it to me to do those street sales and then to find another school again and continue my grade 11 or year 11 and year 12. Mm. So that is where. So you had good support from your mom and dad as yeah, well. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. You know, even though like we live in a downside where we don't have money and all these ones, but they never gave up on me. Mm. They were persistent and, you know, yeah, yeah. supporting me all the time. Well, praise God. Look, what I want to do is I just actually want to share Operation Food for Life's contact details. And if you're watching on Facebook, we are streaming this live on Facebook at the moment. We do have those contact details on the um, on the information that is part of the uh, the video there. But you can write to them if you'd like at PO Box 519 Cherry Brook, and that's in New South Wales. And the postcode is 2126. 2126. 
And that is in New South Wales, Australia. Or you can even make contact with them on the phone if you want to. And Australia code is uh, 61 or plus 61 from international. And the area code is 2. Then it's 98751406. Now, you can also find the information on their website, which is OFFL. So that stands for Operation Food for Life, OFFL.org. Dot au. So OFFL.org.au. You can even email them at info at OFFL.org.au. And uh, we are just uh, about to take a break here after we've finished our first half. And we'll be right back after these messages. Stay tuned. One of the great promises of the Bible is the promise of the resurrection. The Bible says that when Jesus comes back to this earth, the dead in Christ shall rise. Now, just recently, a man in Spain was declared dead. He was prepared for an autopsy. Marks were drawn on his body to guide the doctor performing the autopsy. So this was really about to happen. When the man began snoring on the autopsy table. So how? Well, it's not always easy to be certain someone is dead, apparently. And this sort of thing has happened before. But once a person is really dead, you are not bringing them back. Unless, here's 1 Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Death is sad, but it isn't final. There's a resurrection day coming. Good news. I'm John Bradshaw for It Is Written. Let's live today by every word. Dear listener, welcome back. You are listening to By the Word of Their Testimony, and my special guest in the studio all the way from Papua New Guinea is Pastor Leboy Tobias. Leboy, welcome. It's good to have you. We've heard the first half just about your life and how uh, you were an ambitious young man, but you were living in an area where people typically would think there would be not a lot of opportunity for someone to progress and grow and develop. Absolutely. You were living near a rubbish dump, and the rubbish dump was a source of... um, Resource for you, so where yeah, you could recycle, yeah. you could sell food from it, and so forth. But at the same time, you were also working on your education. Your parents wanted you to go to school, and you also found some people who saw ambition in you and saw promise in you, and then decided to sponsor you going through school. So perhaps we can take pick up the story from there. You are now starting to look at you know furthering your education. While I was there at the Damsa, like as soon as I graduated from my grade twelve. You know, I failed my grade 10, and then mm. I was doing those street sales and all this one. And then I continued again for my grade 11 when there's, an, uh, there's a school that is opening, and they were looking for a new grade 11 and 12, so I joined the, okay. the school. Which is So how did you juggle, I guess, your responsibilities between having to do school and then also having to run a business on the side, you know? Was that difficult, or just what got the priorities? I think I put my priorities on the cells okay. <laughs> instead of the education. Right. Yeah. So like like after school, around 3 p.m., mm. I always go home, get the stuff that I need to do the street cells, and then I sell on the street. Mm. So it's always like this. Like those street cells, it's not just because I failed my grade 10. And I, I was selling ever since I was in grade 6 and grade 7. Oh, really? In the primary so school. This was part of who you were. This is so you were an industrious young man, even from a young age. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So this is where... So from there, I continued my grade 11 and grade 12. Hmm. And then uh, I was filling my the school liver form to continue my grade 12. So a pastor, which is called Pastor Bunny Jack, okay. he, he passed away already. He was the youth director for the Central Papa Conference. 
Seventh-day Adventist Church in Port Mosby. Mm. He just passed here a couple of, uh, two years ago. So he was preaching on a Sabbath and he talked about life and he was talking about Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 1 and 13 and 14. And he said, like, everything is not, everything is vanity. Mm. And then, like, I was recalling back to, wow, true, everything is vanity without God. And yes, God yes. needs to be. So then it, like, it reminds me back of the plan, the ambition, like, the aim that I have, the goals. So I said, like, I applied to study theology at Pacific uh, Sonoma Adventist College in East New Britain. So that ah. is where I continue my education to my college. So but when you got busy in your life for a while there, you'd, you'd lost sight of some of the ambitions that you had as a young Young person, absolutely. And then this sermon is one that brings it back to mind. And remember, but this is where I want to head. Absolutely, I okay. was good at maths and science, and this one I wasn't good at English and all this. So mm. I was thinking something around maths and science. But mm. when he, when the pastor was preaching on a Sabbath, he just reminded me back to that, the plan that I have, and I was said so I chooses to go to Sonoma. So, mm. however, so you're attending a Seventh-day Adventist church now, so you've become a Seventh-day Adventist? Absolutely. Okay. I was baptized in 2012 when Pastor uh, Pastor John Kata, he yes. was conducting a meeting in Papua New Guinea in 2012. Wow. So there are thousands of us, a lot of us we baptized, about approximately more than 3,000 people baptized. Baptized, and you were yeah, one of those 3,000? I am one of those 3,000 people. Mm. So straight after I uh, baptized, I applied to study theology at Pacific Adventist, uh, Sonoma Adventist College. Okay. So there were, like there, I went to Sonoma Adventist College. Very tough out there, especially to look for school fees and all these ones. But I was grateful for the Waganese Seventh-day Adventist Church, which is, we are the branch church. So okay. they were supporting me in terms of funding. Like the elders that visited me, Elder mm. David Jeninen and his son Desmond Jeninen, who is now blessed by God and is the youngest CEO in Papua New Guinea, National Bank. He's the CEO of the National Bank of Papua New Guinea. Absolutely. And these the were the NDB, people National who were studying Development with Bank. You. Okay, well, so these are smart, intelligent people. They must have seen some promise in you to actually you Probably, know, back you yeah. and sponsor you and look after you. So that person and his father, they supported me and sponsored me in my education. So I continue my education to the college where, you know, when it comes to the final year, mm. it was very tough very tough that the school left to just chase us away from the school because we don't have funding. So me and six other theology students, they just chase us out of the school about approximately it's five, six kilometers away from the school. So we have to just, you know, make our house from the yes. from the kunai grass that we just cut along the bushes and we have to get all those timbers from lo- logs from a uh, different area and we just put together and it's the house that we built is just five meters uh seven meters long and then another three or four meters wide mm. so we have to just you know cross our legs against each other and sleep because if we close our legs and sleep it's we are going to bump ourselves uh-huh. so we have to just split or like open our legs and then intersect and like intersect to each other and then we have to sleep so it makes it easier for us to sleep yeah. and it was very tough out there no water not even power no we don't have any food to Mm. So, and there's no rubbish dump nearby to, no. uh, to provide any resources <laughs> either. <laughs> so, like, what we usually do is we have a small list that we paste on the wall that is written like different boy, like different boy, like seven of us. We have different schedule where, but the main staple food was tapioca and coconut. Right. So different boy has a different schedule. So me, I said, please don't change my schedule. Just put it on the coconut only. Okay. So every day when the students went out for their lunch, the college student, I have to go in the bush and then look for coconut, hush them, 
and then packed it in the uh, bag to just walk another six kilometers back to home. And those boys, they like one after the other, they have to, you know, the other day, the other day, they have their schedule. So mm. when it reaches five o'clock in the evening, every boys and the girls always go and have their lunch, the college students, right. the boarding students. So we, like, we don't have, you know, we don't have access to those food, so. Yeah, because you've got no funding yeah. anymore. Yeah. So all the best, like best tapioca that they always get from the garden, they bring it to the mess. But some of the leftover ones that they don't need it and they just throw it, we have to pack it into a 10 kg bag or a 20 kg bag and then lift it from there and walk another six kilometers down to our house. Wow. Just to cook this food and Carrying eat. 20 kg bag for six kilometers. That's, yeah. uh, you'll, have, you'll be very fit if you do that a few times. Wow. That will wear you out. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so although you guys are living uh, in uh, difficult circumstances, you still have structure to your life. You still have schedules and people pr- providing for each other so you can actually live in a, in a, in a functional community, um, even if it's only six people. Absolutely. Mm. So that is where, you know, it's very tough out there, but... However, by God's grace, one of the elder at Waigani Seventh-day Adventist Church has just passed away, late mm. uh, Dr. Tender, yes. with the help of the Seventh-day Adventist Church at uh, Nautana. And Nautana is where I lived, mm. just beside the site, and the Waigani Adventist Church, where they gather together, you know, they collect some free will offering, and then they support me in my education. So that's okay. where me and some of the boys, too, that we just graduated from. In so 2015. You, so you, you're not a boarding student. You live in your own accommodation, which you've made, but you get enough funding to at least attend school and then graduate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, praise the Lord that that, that happened because obviously there's, there's progress there. So what happens subsequent there? Because I know we're getting to a step where Operation Food for Life enters your life again. Yeah. Yeah. So from there, I was uh, called by the – I received a call from the Central Papua Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Port Mosby to serve as the one of the intent minister so i was called to serve in one of the villages which is called babiko which is about some of the like three to four hours drive away from port mosby okay. to iritano highway mm. so that was in 2016. i served over there for about two months just only three months and my father passed away Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. So mm. it, it was run over by a vehicle from a pedestrian crossing, mm. and then we couldn't caught the, the the person who is responsible for what happened. So yeah. yeah. However, you know, again, the Adventist Church, why can't say the Adventist Church? They were helping me out, and then we buried my father. And mm. from there, I was accepted to Pacific Adventist University. And that oh. is where I came into contact with the Operation Food for Life again. Yeah, so I was accepted into Pacific Adventist University, and I thought, like, wow, it's university, and then it's just close to my house, so life would be much more easier. Yes. Because East New Britain from Sonoma Adventist College is just hours, it's hours flight away from where I was. Okay. But this one is just close to my house, so I was expecting something like I'm going to relax when it comes to school fee and all this one, but it was very tough out there. Really? Yeah. Very, very tough. Living at a dump site and traveling here and there again to school. Mm. Yeah, it's wow. So, uh, yeah, so more demanding than you expect. You thought it was going to be easier, Absolutely. but it actually turned out yeah. a little bit different to that. And how do you, how do you get funding for, for education? I mean, because, I mean, you've got to pay for it. It's not free. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the school fee is um, it's 8,100 kina. Okay. And in Australian dollars, maybe it's $3,600. Or seven hundred dollars. Oh, well, that's a fair bit of money. Yeah, yeah. But I couldn't afford that money because my father just passed away, and I was just working about six months 
instead of like six months in the conference. Mm. And my father passed away, I have to just pay for all the like, you know, burial and all these services sure. with the help of the church. And then I have to pay for my school fee again. Mm. I was fortunate enough that on my acceptance letter, the Pacific Adventist University is supposed to write 29th of February, the school will start. Mm. But they write 29th of March. So I just send this letter to the conference and I withdraw from the like work to continue study. And then they, instead of they paying me and stop paying me around 29th of March, they just overpaid me till 29th of May because of the letter that PAU sent, which oh. is wrong. But I was blessed because that extra school fee, uh, just extra payment just went right into my into, your school into my school fee. So I I have to just pay the 25% of the first semester mm. and with the help of one of my class girls, which her name is uh, Lenani Matthew. She's helped me in some of the, I don't know, like she's my class girl, she's also facing a school fee problem, but by God's grace, she supported me. She said, Lee boy, I have, she, she was asking me uh, during the day, like she said, Lee boy, do you, what happened? Like, are you going to come to school? I said, well, I'm still struggling. And then she offered, she said, how may I help you? And I said, no, I'm just, I need some money. Mm. And it's about this. And I know that she's not going to pay, but I need her prayers. And I asked her to pray, but she said, yes. look, I'm going to help you with something, at least a little. And mm. I thought she's going to just give me half of it or just a little, but she just gave me exactly what I need. Well, praise the Lord. So not only was she praying for you, she was an answer to prayer as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. And from there, I continue my education, but I always receive you know, emails from the Pacific Adventist hmm. University here and there. They said, Lee boy, you need to pay your 75% outstanding. Yes. And then I said, I'm going to pay. I'm going to pay. And then second semester was there. They asked me. I said, I'm going to pay. I promise. Like I was praying and praying. I didn't let my mother know all these years because I don't want her to suffer pain and that I'm feeling. About, yeah. Yes. She might like, you know, high blood pressure or mm. heart attack. And so I was just keeping it myself. Even I didn't let my family know because, you know, they are not Adventists and they always, they don't support me when it comes to, because it's. I am the only Adventist, and they always, you know, yes. go against me and all this. So. Mm. so, by the grace of God. So you, you're there now studying and li- pretty much living by faith because you don't know where the money's going to come from. Yeah, yeah. You know, when the conference president and all these people they ask me, "Liboy, how are you going to pay your school fee?" I said, "Listen, I have ten times the amount I needed for the school fee." You said that. I said that to all the, the president, and I said, "Like, I have this money. All you have to do is just release me for study." And then there, my school fee will be provided. Inside my brain, I know that God is going to provide because he has provided many things. So that was a statement of faith on your part. Absolutely. Because you feel like God had called you to ministry and his biddings, you know, are enablings. (laughs) What he he calls you to do, he equips you to do. And you knew that money is part of the equippings the Lord would provide. Absolutely. absolutely. So from there, it's like I was, uh, it was during my graduation Mm. and it comes to the end of the year. And that same girl, the same woman, Lenali Matthew, paid for my, she helped me for my uh, school fee. Yeah. She was the one who paid for my graduation gown also. And I was like, wow, wow, why did you do that? Like, yes. So, so what are you graduating uh, from at the moment? So what's the uh, the program that you're doing, the course? I was doing Bachelor of Hearts in Theology. I was want, wanted to become the pastor. Okay, yeah. right. So it was during the end of the graduation. Uh, it was just close to the graduation where the night before graduation, it was the Sabbath night. Mm. And then like people were asking constantly, like they were pestering me, like, when are you going to graduate? When are you going to graduate? I said, listen, God is going to email me tonight in my email and tell me go and graduate tomorrow in the morning. Yes. 
it was amazing and I couldn't be, like I couldn't believe that just 10 o'clock in the night nine o'clock in the night I was just opening my email and I didn't I was expecting something but I've seen nothing so when I want as soon as I want to log out I saw a new email coming in hmm. when I checked the new email I saw that it was the Dean of Theology at Pacific Adventist University Elizabeth Simonsen a Tonga lady yes. Dr. Elizabeth Simonsen hmm. she emailed me and said Lee boy I paid your school fee in full The dean paid your school fee. Absolutely. Maybe there are some funding out there where she has those funding. So she paid my school fee in full. I was Praise like, the Lord for I that. was amazing yeah. and I was shocked. Even the clothes that I wore for the graduation, the church members, they bought it for me. Mm. Yeah, one of the church members, his name is Basha Robert, and the other one is the Kayo family or the uh, Bulu family. Yes. Yeah, Bulu family. It was the, some of the Engans and... You know, coastal people where they sponsored me, so they pay for my graduation gown, and mm. you know it's like it was amazing. Those church members helping me out, and you know another Wabek uh, Engen fellow up in the islands. His name is Denny. He also paid for my clothes and all this one. And mm. I was like, God, you are just bringing everyone in, like into my life. Where yes, it's. Well, you know, you, you, just listening to your story, I, I'm impressed by the fact that you've been industrious from a young age. You you weren't a person that was shy of work. You would work. You would study. Now you're studying, but you don't know where the means are going to come from. If you had the opportunity, you would have tried to fund it yourself, but there's no other way. So now you realize I've got to live by faith. The Lord has called me to this. He ultimately will, be, will provide, and the Lord blesses you with, with the means. Yeah. But right on the last minute, so he's testing your faith. Absolutely. That is why, like, you know, When God said in first uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 37, mm. nothing is impossible, all things are possible, it is. Yes. That's in Philippians 3, verses 14 also. Mm. Philippians 4, 13, it's That's what God said. All things are possible through Christ who strengthens me, and I believe in that. And as a, that is why, as, like, as for me personally, I won't give up. And now I am trying to pursue my studies for my master's. Are you I studying already, your master's now? Actually, yeah. I applied to You've continue, okay. yeah. So you're oh, not just going to stop there with the I want, uh, Bachelor of Arts yeah, in Theology. Okay. I'm heading towards my master's at Andrews University. I already applied and just waiting for that. I wanted even to do my doctoral degree at Andrews University, so I won't give up. So that is where I came into contact with the Operation Food for Life when I met them at the Pacific Adventist University. Oh, really? Now, I know that uh, we've called this program From Poverty to Praise. Yeah. And God is transforming your life. I mean, it's remarkable. So, so tell me about the connection. How do we get to uh, Operation Food for Life? How, does, how do they step back into your life again? So what happens? I was at Pacific Adventist University while I was doing a presentation, a two-minute presentation that they asked me during a Friday evening whisper. Okay. And then someone in the like Pacific Adventist University, the registrar, Pele Halu, she, saw, she was the one also, she was one of the volunteers who helped the Operation Food for Life That time she was the CNA husband. They were the PNG director for the Operation Food for Life. Now currently it's Philip and Maureen Vaki. Okay. But back then it was them. Mm. So she saw me doing that presentation in the dump site while I was at the dump, one of the pictures. So she talked to the Operation Food for Life director. Currently it's the Dennis Perry. So yes. when Dennis Perry was in Papua New Guinea at Pacific Adventist University at that time, it was last year. And then mm. she talked to him and... Dennis Perry emailed me and she's, like he said, can we just meet and then talk it over? And like, so when I came into contact with them and I talked with Dennis, Dennis was showing me some of the pictures at the dam site. And mm. she, like he said, did you know those people? I said, 
these are the people that I've been living with for all my life. And is like, that right? <laughs> so that is where the connection, you know, it's... Okay. Yeah. Well, funny enough, you should mention Dennis Perry's name because I know Dennis from way back. Back in 1989, yeah. I was new in Auckland, New Zealand. I'd just mm-hmm. come back from Africa. And Dennis was the new marketing manager for Sanitarium Health and Wellbeing wow. in, in New Zealand. And I was a green, brand new sales rep. They were training me to be a sales rep. And I ended up working for Dennis back then. And uh, it's interesting that now, yeah. after all these years, our, our connection has been reacquainted <laughs> with Operation Food for Life. And the, him bringing you here so you can share your testimony today. This man is he's not retired. Is refired. <laughs> refired. Absolutely. <laughs> and you know, he I has a that. lot of testimony that his mess has become his message. And now, me too personally, it's like my mess is my message. Your yeah. mess is your message. Praise the Lord. I love I that because that's Dennis what testimonies Perry. are. It's the Lord changing people's lives and it's taking their mess and turning it into a message. I love that. That sounds mm. like something that you would have heard from Dennis. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Actually, Dennis Perry always said, like, you know, aspire to inspire before you expire. So before you expire, he has to aspire to inspire people first. Aspire to inspire before you expire. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I also wonder, I remember even as a sales rep, because he'd come in and he'll, he'll motivate us, you know, to go mm-hmm. and sell and, and do well. And he always said that, you know, if anything seems impossible, just remember it's him possible. Yeah. That's another one that he's, he's told so us it's about. It's I-M-P-O-S-I-B-L-E. Like I am possible. It's impossible to, and it's... This is great. I mean, yeah, yeah, wonderful. Well, yeah. you're you're in contact with a good man. That, that mm-hmm. will be an encouragement to you as well. But you know, you you you're, um, you obviously have some great aspirations yourself. Yeah. So these people from Operation Food for Life get in touch with you, and then there's a level of support provided. To Absolutely. You. Okay. So when I get in touch with them, I involve with them while I was studying. I involve with them going out to new schools that they were building currently. Mm. It's about five hours drive, and it's very tough out there to go to that school. You know, people doesn't have that better education, and they were struggling for better education. And the Operation Food for Life Ministry just travel out there to help those people at right. Philip and Morin's Philip and Morin uh, Vakis Village, mm. and they help other people like in in the city of Port Moresby in. Uh, Harima, they, they were helping those people to, you know, especially the school and all this. And then they were looking after 30 boys and girls, orphanages where, like, back, like, their history is like, you know, some of them were raped and some of them were, cha- like, you know, they were chased out by their parents. Some of them are homeless and yeah. they come with different, but Operation different Food needs. for Life. Yeah, different mm. needs and different lifestyle, but Operation Food for Life cannot turn anyone away. They just mm. get everyone. And now they have 30 boys and girls living with them currently in an which is they call the sanctuary. The sanctuary? Yeah. Operation Food for Life Sanctuary. Operation Food for Life Sanctuary. Praise the Lord. So, so it, it, it started with just feeding those who uh, were in need, and from there the uh, operations have actually developed now that they actually have a home even for the homeless and for those who have Absolutely. suffered s- severe trauma and deprivation in their life. I tell you the truth. Even those kids, they have a better house than other Papua New Guineans. Is that right? Those small you know the boys and the girls they don't only go to the prison but like operation food for life go and visit prisoners mm. they build schools they look after the people the boys are the small boys like the children as early as six months up to 18 19 years old boys like children and then they even go to the hospital doing hospital visitation and go to some of the disadvantaged like homes where you know they are looking after those disadvantaged children so yes. they have done a marvelous work in Papua New Guinea 
Mm. Yeah. Praise praise the Lord. Now, I'm curious. Um, you only take a two-minute presentation at this Vespers program. Are you the only one that was presenting that day or are no. there some other people? there are other people also doing their presentation. So why do they select you out of all the people? Was it your presentation that impressed them? I'm just, I'm, I'm just a curious question. I mean... I believe when we look at those things, it's it's not about us. Okay. It's about God, and so God is in control. God is in control. So Absolutely. this was God's purpose for your life at the time. Yeah. No. Praise God. So, what are the plans moving forwards? Because you're obviously a, a pastor, mm-hmm. um, but you're also involved in Operation Food for Life. So how do these two intersect? How do those, how does they work together? Now uh, I am, you know, working with the Operation Food for Life, and we were trying to reach out the needies in Papua New Guinea mm. as much as we can yes. with little that we have, mm. but with the heart that God has given us to reach out to the people. So we were you know, trying our best as much as possible to reach out to other nearest villages that we can, you know, give them clothes and food and anything that you know, we have within our means to yeah, share with yeah, them. Yeah, that's right. So if people want to get involved and support uh, Operation Food for Life, our I've put the contact details on our Facebook page, and we also have the video, the live stream of our mm-hmm. recording at the moment. Of course, we're going to edit this program, and it does go to air, and then it'll be available on demand as well from our website. But if you want to get involved uh, with Operation Food for Life, their website is www.offl. So the OFFL stands for Operation Food for Life. Dot org. Dot au, and you can get all their contact details there. But I'll also share their their phone number with you now. So it's uh, country code 61, and the area code is 2. Then the phone number is 9875-1406. And you can send an email as well, which is info at au. So my special guest in the studio today here is Pastor Leboy Tobias, and he is a pastor at the church. Perhaps you can just mention the, the name of the church where you're currently pastoring. The church is Dubona Teboa Seventh-day Adventist Church in Rigo District, Central Popo Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Okay. And also, he's also involved with Operation Food for Life because of the contact. He remembered them from early, from a young age, and it was the logo of these people that were helping the people at the rubbish dump and the respect that these people were showing. And then later, some people came to study with him. And although there was some level of skepticism, there was some level of prejudice, you remembered the logo. It was the same logo that the Operation Absolutely. Food for Life people had. You were able to bridge that uh, that skepticism, and uh, you were able now to spend time and study and pray. And when people asked you what you wanted to do, and you said you believe God has called you to be a pastor in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, you were able to get sponsorship. And you've pretty much lived by faith. And uh, if people want to get involved, because you guys are still living by faith, because this is a faith-based ministry, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, there's not uh, the way that you operate is through people who believe in what you do, who may not be able to travel themselves, who may not be able to be their hands right there at the rubbish dump and helping the needy, but they can help with their financial means and, of course, also with their, with their prayers. Hmm. Yeah. So we've got uh, a couple of minutes left. What else can you share about uh, what you guys do? And then we'll share our contact details in case people have missed it uh, on the program today. I have a good news that for all this work and the involvement of the Operation Food for Life, the uh, Rainbow Seventh-day Adventist Church in Port Mosby mm-hmm. has established a branch church with the leadership of Elder Guaibo at the dam site. And now they have a Seventh-day Adventist church established over there. And if there is anything that I would like to say, yes, 
it would be that I just wish that those people living at the campsite, my people, mm. the boys and girls, because ever since back then, they don't have that opportunity to study, to go for further education. Yes. Nor do they study in the elementary or the primary school. Mm. So I just wish that the Operation Food for Life Ministry would establish, establish a school, maybe a primary or elementary school, so okay. that it would break the case of the boys and the girls that live on the garbage dump. So you are an exception. Not everybody went to school, the primary school and high school. Right now, currently, I'm speaking with you. I don't think anyone. Who lives on the rubbish dump, yeah. they goes to school. Yeah. Like, they go to school, but wow. they, they didn't continue further education. They just, when they dropped out, they just said, it is enough. We have everything we need. Mm. Yeah. So the greatest need at the moment is actually to get a school going. Um, to start off with a primary school. Or able to go primary school and high school. You'd yeah. like to do both if you can. Okay. Only a couple of students rest right now. Maybe two or three just come out and they, you know, continuing to college and then they just go back mm. and like this. Or even the secondary school, but not much yeah. of them. Many of them. School. Okay. School. Great. Thank you. We've got Dennis Perry in the in the studio with us there. It's a literacy school. Okay. So it's important to be able to to uh, read and write and also be able to, I guess, uh, yeah. get into some maths as well. Right. Okay, so that's the biggest need. So the Lord has placed this burden on your heart, and obviously it's it's the burden of Operation Food for Life as well. Yeah, for the so op- Operation is, Food for Life. Uh, this is the burden of Operation Food for Life. So if there is something that you want for your people, this is it. You want them to get an education. Absolutely. Mm. For our literacy school to be established in the garbage site. Okay. Praise the Lord. Well, dear listener, you are listening to By the Word of Their Testimony, and my special guest is Pastor Leboy Tobias from Papua New Guinea, who's just been sharing his life journey and his testimony and also the work of Operation Food for Life, which he's involved in. We're just going to give you our contact details now. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back after these messages. Thank you for joining us on By the Word of Their Testimony. If you would like more information about today's program, Or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 0249733456 or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We look forward to hearing from you. Dear listener, welcome back. You are listening to By the Word of Their Testimony, and we've got Pastor Leboy Tobias in the studio sharing his testimony and also the work of Operation Food for Life. Now, we only have about two minutes left on this program, so I'm just going to hand it over to you to share an encouragement to our listeners out there. Thank you very much. Uh, If there is anything that I would like to say, I'd like to let you know, the listeners, that nothing is impossible to God. Mm. So when you fall down, don't give up. Stand up and then walk again on the path that God has for you. Yes. Failure is again first attempt in learning. It is not when you fall down, but it is when you fall down and you do not have the guts to stand up and walk again. Mm-hmm. And suppose you want Blaman law. I just translate it into talk pisin. If you're Papua New Guinea listeners listening right now. Suppose you want Blaman or Mary where you didn't know some life walk long term or plant something, you know, good long life blue. Now you didn't know some you bahad lo survive na live. Me like talking you straight or some you gaman. Loblo nature and talk. When I'm something you give him no life, and by give him come back and lo you. Also, now you know can get on negative thinking in life. Blue. Suppose you've been got on negative thinking stuff. Listen to me like talking you now. Please no can get on negative thinking. Got strong blood thinking. Go and talk to him. Me got plan no life. Blue you plan where by me give him you by you leave him good plan, a nice plan, a sweet plan life. Now you know plan lo bagrap him life. Blue you devil come lo still kill na destroy him life. Blue you. Mm-hmm. Friends, I am good. Papa God and me got big plan no life. Blue you. 
Once you put down the one map, you stop long him, no can give up. Kirap na wogu bot again. Ask him God, depend on God. All things are possible through Christ who strengthens us. All get us something impossible through Lord Jesus Christ. In all our strength, blow me blah. Let him God control him life blow you. Na ba you look him one maswa blow him back up. Na result blow him back up life blow you. Thank you very much. Uh, amen. You know, funny enough, I don't speak pigeon, but I could understand a few things here and there, and I can say praise the Lord and amen. <laughs> so thank you very much, Pastor Leboy Tobias, for sharing with us, even in pigeon. And for our uh, listeners, and we've got many supporters from uh, Facebook, from Papua New Guinea, who would have appreciated your messages of encouragement to them. Dear listener, thank you for joining us today on By the Word of Their Testimony. We look forward to catching up with you next time. Until then, God bless. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.